Alrighty. Well, we'll go ahead and continue in our series on uh, theology. So we're in essentially in unit number two here, um, which is, uh, well, I guess I flipped that too quickly. Oh, okay, I got it at the bottom still. Doctrine of man. We were looking at doctrine or teachings about God. This is, um, what does the Bible teach us about ourselves, about who man is? And so last week we looked at uh, man uh, as creation and focused a lot on uh, him being created in the image of God. And so today we're going to be uh, looking at male and female. I haven't decided yet if I might allow myself to get off on a rabbit trail for another Sunday um, or two. I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about it or whether I save the topics for later. But obviously in our society, gender identity a hot topic and so this whole idea of male and female um, people some people are challenging it I just kind of guessing here I'd say it's an uneducated guess maybe just based on my life experiences Um, I just thinking it's a small minority of people that really totally buy into the fact that your biological gender is completely separated from your gender identity so um, but I also think that maybe our society has adopted very strongly, so this, this I do believe is probably the case, as long as you're not hurting anyone, we don't care what you believe. <laughs> Nothing really matters. Everything's, you know, you do what you want, you know. Uh, believe your own thing, have your own belief system. Um, so I think that's, that maybe is the case where our society doesn't really mind, you know, if you want to believe that, I fully support you in that. So there definitely seems to be a lot of support uh, in the direction of things like gender identity and so forth. So um, I think I've mentioned uh, perhaps an example that was provided to me by uh, one of our parents in our school when they had started their daughter in one of the local public schools. And within a few weeks of uh, their first grade year, um, the daughter's coming home saying, Mommy, am I going to always be a girl? So they're planting these ideas in your mind that whatever your biological gender is, you don't have to stay that way if you don't want. And you have other options. First grade. Yeah. So a first grader, you would think that a first grader, you wouldn't even really want to be trying to think that through. I mean, what, what first grader is equipped to think about that? First grader is equipped to be brainwashed. First grader is not that equipped to think deeply on something like that. Um, so... And anyways, I could be tempted to talk more on that, but I'm going to resist at this time. Uh, but, Crystal, did you want to say something? Expelled from school? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that, 
that's true. And uh, just to clarify for myself, did you think I say there was no harm in it? I, I didn't. I didn't imply. No, I didn't imply that at all. Yeah. No. My what I was. My point was that um, I think some people are going along with it who don't buy into it themselves, but they're 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 okay with it. I just suspect that the majority of people don't really themselves embrace the thought. They might support. They might support society going that way because they don't want confrontation, or they want to be supportive of people that feel that way. Um, no, I, th- I actually think there's a lot of uh, various harms that are coming from that, but like I said, I don't want to get into that right now. Um, no, that's okay. No, no, you were fine. All right, so we're going to continue today in Doctrine of Man, uh, te- Bible teachings on man himself. Today, man as male and female. So we'll go to our first uh, slide after this. Uh, personal relationships. Okay, And so... Yeah, unfortunately, my printout here doesn't... I'm going to have to keep turning this way. I'm saying this more for the people online to see what the slide says because my printout shows my notes but did not print out the slide points. Um, so in order for me to remind myself what the slide points are, i got to turn around. Okay, um, there's actually, uh, as I recall, two points on this slide, personal relationships. I'll just go ahead and put both of them up. Uh, so this is almost uh, an introductory slide uh, to our topic. Uh, that God um, has created male and female, and there's an aspect related to marriage and the Trinity that are part of this. Now, future slides will go into this more, uh, but what does this have to do with personal relationships uh, regarding this? Well, there are personal relationships within the Trinity, and there are personal relationships within marriage that will relate to uh, biblical teaching on male and female. Okay, so... The fact is that God has created us to have relationships. Now, occasionally, uh, you read about, uh, I don't know if I've ever known anyone that qualified quite this way, someone who's like a hermit, a mountain man, or someone that just kind of drops out of society, and they're still out there, um, maybe homeless. Sometimes homeless might do that as well. There are some people that seem to uh, maybe uh, choose a lifestyle that, uh, takes them away from personal relationships with other people, but that's not really that normal, or it's not definitely not typical. It's uh, not the way God created us. So when you think about what people's needs are, I mean, pretty much all of us need others. We need, you know, friendship. Uh, we need love from others, and so that's the way God has created us. Um, the relationship that can exist in marriage is that way, but God himself is that way. Um, The concept of the Trinity that we've already looked at under the doctrine of God, um, we see that there is fellowship and there's relationship in the Trinity, but we're going to look at that um, in a little bit, um, a little bit more specifically and see how in the marriage relationship, how in in some ways it mirrors what's going on uh, within the Trinity and so within, the, uh, within both of these, though, one of the ideas is that there be interpersonal unity. Uh, again, for those that just came in, um, my printouts don't show the slide, so I have to keep, I'm going to have to keep looking back. I might have to try to see if I can get a solution to that, because I think it's the way I designed the slide. Some of the slides are already PowerPoint presentations that are pre-made, uh, but this one, actually, the background is just an image I took, so I just created my own. 
uh, but for some reason on the notes printout where it would normally be printed here, it's just blank. So, um, so I can usually see them without having to turn around. But anyways, unity in the interpersonal relationships within the Trinity is something that we'll take a closer look at, um, but is something that is true. And between uh, men and women, there's interpersonal unity, and it comes to its fullest expression uh, in marriage, where husband and wife, uh, the two become one, as the Bible uh, tells us. And that's Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 24, that tells us uh, that as far as one of the major purposes of marriage uh, for this cause, it says, um, this, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and become the two of them one flesh. All right, so the fact that God created, did not create just one man, and that's it, or created man only, uh, but created uh, male and female as part of our um, image bearing. And uh, we can see that this uh, image bearing in man reflects the unity in the Trinity. Um, all right, so let us uh, go ahead and continue. All right, um, so equality. Wow, we love this word in our society today. Equity, we like to use that version of the word, <laughs> equity. Um, kind of funny in society where that's uh, changed a lot. It used to be equity of opportunity, and now it's uh, changed a little bit um, where people are trying to emphasize equity of outcome. And so um, I think that's a good thing to, well, it's a good thing for us to point out to ourselves, but maybe young people, uh, that shift. Now, I don't want to get off on history lessons or, you know, lessons on social studies or anything like that, uh, but there's been a big shift. But we love this word. In fact, I think in uh, Christian circles, um, we have to be careful. Um, I'm equally susceptible to this. We as humans are susceptible to this. Um, Christ, and I'm thinking of Christians specifically. Allowing current culture to influence our thinking even to the point of influencing our Bible interpretation. So allowing ourselves to come to the Bible and read into it thoughts that are guided by the current culture, not by the Word of God. Or another way of saying it is when our biases influence our Bible interpretation. And uh, Christians have done this throughout the years, and because we as humans have a tendency, we, we, we have tendency for various reasons, but we, we naturally are biased. So for example, uh, there were a lot of Christians, good Bible-believing Christians, that have supported racism and uh, some of the you know, slavery and have used Scripture to back that up. Of course, the Bible has things to say about uh, slavery, such as, you know, if you're, if you're a slave and you're a Christian, here's some guidance for you on how to interact with your master. But I don't think you ever see in the scripture that the Bible is condoning slavery. Uh, it thinks it's a good thing. Uh, yet, it was used uh, by Christian slave owners to support it. Or even racial things, you know, during times of, say, Jim Crow, in our country, and and uh, one racial group abusing another. Again, the scriptures were often invoked in that. Thus, you could get the KKK burning their 
cross at night, this big flaming cross uh, invoking Christian themes as part of what they're doing. And I imagine even some who are genuine Christians, you know, thinking along those lines and having different reasons of supporting that. Now, that's just one example from our country's history. Um, but there's been other things. And I think um, even the role of men and women being influenced by current culture um, is a problem. And so um, our goal, I think, in part, when we're Bible study, is to recognize what our own biases are and um, when we approach study, try to be aware of that and really just try to say, okay, this is what I naturally tend to think is true. We could ask ourselves questions like this. Is my bias biblical? A bias is just a mental leaning. Now, it has a negative uh, meaning to it, but the word bias is not automatically wrong. A bias is a preference that leans a certain direction. Um, so you might be biased with uh, against vanilla and you like chocolate better so you just naturally I like it better why I do but we would recognize that as you know it's not that big a deal and most people wouldn't you know equate chocolate as morally superior but you know just our preference but we can do that with other things so if we have a bias we think okay I, I just think this is true why where in the scripture what makes you think that what in the scripture, in fact, actually, I just had it, I didn't even think about this ahead of time. Pastor's probably talking about that some this morning, because um, he talked about that last week. He's going somewhere with last week's lesson with four levels. Don't ask me to remember what all the four were, but something along this lines. The Bible really clearly says this. Can't argue with that. The Bible is super clear. It actually says this. But then we logically can then take it to this. And maybe less so other assumptions or presuppositions or you know, whatever. And he had four levels there. Um, but that's what we tend to do. Um, we, um, so I've heard a saying, um, whatever God says is so, whatever man says may or may not be so. And so trying to test it against the Bible on that. So I think these are one of those areas because... Christians less are less likely now to say some things about gender roles than they would have been in previous generations. So the question is why? Is it because we've studied the scripture out better or we go along with just trends um, culturally? Now it could be cultural trends outside the church, but it could also be cultural trends inside the church. Um, so why do we believe what we believe? So we're going to um, take a look at some of these and try to identify some thoughts from the Bible. Um, we uh, find then um, regarding equality, let's put up some of the points here. Okay, two points, I think. Yep, okay. All right, I clicked one too far. Okay. So equality in who they are as persons and equality in importance. Okay. So what you find in the scriptures um, in, in modeling this, we're going to look at the Trinity itself. And give me a second here to I need to peek ahead. This is again, this is okay. All right, I had to look back because again, my notes aren't here, so now it's causing me to uh, 
lose track making sure that the notes I have are tied to a specific slide. Okay, so on this slide here, men, men and women are uh, made equally in God's image. Okay. Therefore, because of this, equally important to God and equally valuable to him. Now we're going to draw this out on the next slide more, but this should lead men and women to honor one another. Okay. If God considers there to be value and importance uh, to someone, then we should value that as well. Uh, one example of this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. And of course, uh, some of the 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 question when you get um, where we're going with this is equality in importance, but not equality or not identical roles uh, that men and women have in the body of Christ. And so, one of the things that sometimes people buck against, like in our society, it's very um, it's very very unacceptable to many uh, to um, have different roles for men and women. Some of the things that the Bible teaches on this can be very offensive uh, to uh, many. And so because of that, I think, again, people bring their bias to the Bible and either object to what it's teaching or uh, perhaps try and say, well, the Bible can't be saying that because that's wrong, because my bias tells me it's wrong, therefore I will reinterpret it uh, differently. But what we find, um, maybe this verse uh, highlights one of the things that people have been uncomfortable with, um, as in when we get to men having different roles, and especially in marriage, the, the husband having headship over the wife can feel downgrading or um, somehow making her less important uh, less equal, less valuable, and yet we find in First Peter three seven that husbands are instructed not only, uh, well, not in this verse, another verse to love them, but in this verse uh, to give honor unto them, and so the Lord honors both. But now let's uh, dig into um, the meat of this and take a look at our next slide. At um, I'll put up. Let's see here. Okay. So we have three things here. Let me just put up the first one. Okay, the Trinity and male headship in marriage. So what is this point uh, um, hinting at? It's hinting at that we're going to compare those two. So what's going on in the Trinity, and how does that relate to marriage, and uh, specifically the role of male and female in marriage? Okay, so for the uh, Trinity, let's, let's think about that. Okay, is... Is there a trinity? Well, the Bible teaches that. We discussed that before. Are the three persons of the trinity equal in importance? Or is one more valuable, more important than the others? Because what we find in the trinity is we find examples of different levels of structure, um, different levels of authority in the trinity. Okay. But uh, so uh, we'll uh, think about these. Uh, is there equality of importance? Is there equality of being personhood? Is is what Grudem uh, tends to use that term. I don't use the word personhood that much. So you know, when I keep coming to that word in my mind, I stumble over it for some reason as as feeling awkward. Uh, but who they are as people, personhood, uh, equality. Are they in Are they do they have equality of their importance? Do they have equality of who each of the persons of the Trinity are? 
Okay. Um, are they? Um, is there equal equality in deity amongst the three? And uh, so we'll see um, or be reminded that yes, the Bible teaches that all are equal in power, but at the same time, there's differences in their roles. So what you find with God the Father is that he has greater authority and leadership role, and that's demonstrated uh, in uh, creation, for example. There's a couple examples we'll share. But in creation, we'll see that the Father is greater in authority and has a greater leadership role, and yet the other two have a part in creation, and they're all equally honored. So for example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so we also see in that passage, that would be, usually we think of God the Father in that, even though it's not specific there. But we also see that the Spirit of God in verse 2 is moving upon the face of the waters. But if we compare that um, or, or add to that John 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word it talks about. It says, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, the word, I know we're going through parts of this a little bit quickly, but I don't want to spend too much time doing a study on John 1 1. Okay, you find out later in John 1 1, though, that it makes clear that the person here being named the Word, and a capital W, later is identified clearly that's referring to Jesus Christ come in the flesh. And so um, verse 2 says, This same word was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now let's add to that 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Uh, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we in him. Okay, so... If we think about the wording there, by, there's, there's God the Father, okay, of whom, let, let's focus on some prepositions here, of versus by. Of whom are all things. All things come are, are exist because of him. But how did he do that? And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. So God the Father initiates creation, but he accomplishes it through God the Son. Now we saw that back in uh, John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made by the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. So God the Father initiates creation, but he accomplishes it through uh, Jesus Christ. They both had their uh, distinct roles in creation. Hebrews 1, uh, 1 verse 2 hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so God operated through, God the Father operated through God the Son. Um, they did not do the exact same thing in creation. They both had roles in it. Uh, both having um, every indication of equality of importance, and who they were, but what they were doing was different. The roles they were given uh, were different. Okay, here's another example. How about in redemption? Um, mankind, his soul being redeemed or bought back by God through Christ's death on the cross, uh, forgiveness of sin. Okay, so in redemption, the Father sends the Son who is obedient unto death. And after the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes to equip 
and empower the church. Yeah, probably verses that we're all familiar with, or, or teachings that we're familiar with on that. Uh, Luke 2, uh, 42, Jesus says to the Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So a role of submission in Christ to God the Father. Um, willing to follow the will of the Father. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 uh, who, speaking of Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, okay, but made himself of no reputation, took upon the, him the form of a servant, and made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Of course, became obedient to the will of the Father. So even though he has equality with the Father, um, he has a role that is submissive to him. John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, it is expedient for you that I go away. Uh, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So now we see a role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, and rather than stay behind and empower his church and gift them with gifts, Rather, the Holy Spirit, that'll be his role. And so in Acts 1.8, it says, Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Um, I'm sorry, my inflections. I don't like the way those inflections sounded. Um, it almost made it sound like there's two events. You're going to receive power, and after, the, after that happens, then the Holy Ghost has come upon you. My inflections almost made it sound that way. Let me reread that. You, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, the... the after the fact that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that's, that's the power. You're going to receive power because of that. Okay? And so we see then the fulfillment at the uh, day of Pentecost, uh, where that actually happened. And Acts chapter 2 comes right after that, details uh, the events of Pentecost. And so each had their distinct roles in, um, in the redemption of mankind. Uh, both in the actual payment of sin, but also in the empowering of the church, and um, it's completely consistent with consistent with equal in importance and in personhood and in deity, and yet with distinct roles. So the proposition that you know we're putting forth is this: that man created in the image of God, they, there's a reflection in man of God in this. And so the Bible teaches things about um, the role of men and women, specifically in marriage. Now, I think we want to be careful here that some of the things that are taught about the roles that are played by men and women in marriage do not mean that they apply in every relationship between a male and a female. And so when we get you know to looking a little bit more at... Um, the uh, submissive role that a wife would have to a husband, um, not in every situation does I think that apply, uh, that women are always to be submissive to all men. Um, so we're not going to jump there, and I'm not probably going to spend a lot of time talking about that. We're going to talk specifically about what the Bible teaches about these roles, and maybe be careful not to just do blanket statements and apply it everywhere. Uh, there are submissive roles within the church as well. We're not getting into that as much this morning, but all of us have some submission 
to the authority um, that's in church, uh, pastoral authority um, specifically. And um, then there's also roles um, that are in government and, and submissiveness to government authority. And so, again, we're not getting into those a lot. We're focusing on marriage uh, this morning. So humans are created in God's image, and we would expect there to be some similarities, uh, perhaps, between us and God. Not always exactly like God, uh, but often similar, because we are an image of him. We're reflecting him in various ways. And so then it might not be surprising that even in one of these most basic of human relationships, a husband-wife relationship, that we might uh, see this uh, relationship. Okay? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, um, the Apostle Paul identifies this relationship as kind of a basis for uh, even talking to the church about the different uh, kind of clothing appropriate for men and women of that day. So this is the woman having her head covered. Um, but in that, and, and we're not going to you know, stay on that topic, or, or I'm not going to comment on that topic uh, very much, but um, the... No, I just lost my train of thought for a moment there. The, the attitude in that with the, the head being covered is this attitude of submissive or an acceptance of the roles that God had. Um, now, some have taken that um, you know head covering to be like, have ladies wear hats in church and stuff. And again, I'm not going to get into that too much. We could talk about, okay, the hair given to the woman as a covering. and uh, But what I'd like to point out and focus on is this. Are we submissive to the roles that God would have us do? And most of us have that in other ways. Uh, for example, um, there's a submissive role I have to pastor as an employee here in the Christian school. And so um, it does not mean that I'm not as important as him or not even as equal as he is. Like we're like he's a greater person and I'm a lesser person. Um, equality in personhood, equality in importance, but differences in roles. Um, and so we, most of us have experienced, um, in fact, I think all of us at some point, we've experienced having to be submissive to someone else. Uh, but in the male-female relationship, especially in marriage, this is something that's true. Okay, uh, yeah, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that talks about that. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So there's a submissiveness um, there of the head of the household, the husbands to Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so there's a direct comparison, uh, just as the woman submissive to the man, or wives to husbands, okay? And, and, and it goes a little beyond that, um, because even I think there's um, good reason uh, to have male leadership in pastoral roles. Okay? Um, but having a submissiveness to this role, so woman to man, man to Christ, Christ to God. And so you get a comparison here in the human relationships with even the relationship within the Trinity and so then he goes on to talk about how that should work uh, in a church setting and everyone just being accepting and submissive to the roles that are there. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 
11 verse 8, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Um, and, it, and he goes on to talk about uh, those roles. Now, one question that comes out in this, now, if you're female, even if it was just for the fun of it, you'd have fun contemplating this thought. Is this whole, you know, submitting to my, submitting to my husband, is that just a consequence of the curse? <laughs> is this a punishment of sin? That's why this goes on. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. Way to go. Uh, well, I got to be submissive to my husband. You know, now we have you know men as pastors uh, overseeing the church because of this. Uh, was is this that way? So I might even word that a little bit, um, maybe um, more forcefully that this relationship is actually evil. In fact, I think I put a quote in here. Let me see if I could find it. Yeah, here it is. Um, I don't know who the person is that Grudem is quoting, showing some, I can read you his name. If I, I don't know if I can pronounce it right. Um, Bilezikian. Bilezikian? Bilezikian? I don't know. <laughs> okay, but someone with that last name. Here's a quote of this guy. Because it, speaking of the relationship, man, uh, woman to man and um, the woman uh, answering to the man or having the submission, because it resulted from the fall, the rule of Adam over, uh, the, the rule of men over women is evil and viewed as satanic in origin, no less than is death itself. So like this, as death is a punishment, this is bad, this is a bad thing, this is punishment, and uh, it, it, it comes from direct result of sin, just like we would view death. Death as a bad consequence. <laughs> um, this relationship, a bad consequence um, from the evil itself. Okay? So then the question comes out, is that actually uh, true? Um, or did this relationship exist before that? Now, when we look at the Trinity, of course, if it's modeled after that, I mean, th this would all break down here um, if it's modeled after the Trinity, because we wouldn't suggest that that relationship in the Trinity is the result of sin. Okay, but there is evidence in the Scripture that there is equality of who they are, men and women, but differences in roles. And again, it's not just amongst uh, men and women. There's, there's special situations like a husband-wife. But there's also these things that are true with, say, um, parents and children, um, differences of roles. So here are some things that we read in the Scripture. We're not going to read verses for all of these. Okay? But just some thoughts, and, and there's quite a few of them. Um, Adam was created first, um, not Eve. Um, Adam named Eve. God named the human race man, okay, which by the way, Adam, his name means man. Um, he did not name it woman, he named it man. Uh, the serpent came to Eve first. God spoke to Adam first after the fall. Uh, Adam uh, represented the human race. We talk about the first Adam. Uh, we have the second Adam being Christ, the first Adam was Adam. Um, I skipped over one intentionally because I have some more notes on that, so I'm going to back up. I just want to give you a flavor of a number of those. 
Uh, but here's one. Eve was created as a helper uh, for Adam. Now, some have challenged that, um, what that actually means. So, so I'll just uh, read quote here. Some Recently, some writers have denied the creation of Eve as a helper fit for Adam that it signals any difference in role or authority because the word helper is often used in the Old Testament of someone who is greater or more powerful than the one who you helped. In fact, the word helper is used in the Old Testament of God himself who helps his people. So, pause there on the quote. So some are looking at saying, wait a minute, it doesn't show a submissive role because sometimes God's called a helper. So some, I guess, are making that argument that there is, there is no submissive role, that that's not what the Bible teaches. Eve did not have a submissive role before the fall because that word helper doesn't indicate that. All right, now I'm going to continue reading. But the point is that whatever, whenever someone helps someone else, whether in the Hebrew Old Testament or in our modern-day use of the word help, and this, uh, the specific task in view of the person who is helping is occupying a subordinate or inferior position with regard to the person being helped. That is true even when I help the young boy in my neighborhood to fix his bicycle. It is his responsibility and his task, and I am only giving some assistance as needed. It is not my responsibility. Okay. So the thought being like if God helps... It's, um, well, if God comes alongside and helps, he's in the role of a helper, and the role itself is a submissive role. Or So sometimes, like in the case of helping the young boy, you might know more about building bikes, you could do it better yourself, but you're allowing him to have the lead. Um, I've had that happen before, my daughter's in the room here, and sometimes it's like, hey, I'm here to help you. And she's like, eh. That's something <laughs> I did want to say, just put her on the spot. No, but sometimes she'll take my help, but sometimes they're like, no, I don't need your help. But I'm in a submissive role because she's telling me whether I'm going to help her or not. Um, I sometimes will like, take it anyways. So I won't give her too hard a time on this one, but uh, she would go to her mom. I was a math teacher. She'd go to her mom for math help. Dad got fired in that role. Okay? So... So in that situation, I could see what he's talking about. I, I was in a submissive role because she was telling me whether that was going to happen or not. And, and, uh, and I, I did not try to force it uh, differently. It's like, well, I'm here. I actually know what the lesson was about today. You can come to me for help. But dad, dad as you in Sunday school class know, I can wonk wonk a little too much. So she was trying to, I think, sometimes avoid two wonky, wonky, wonky answers. And... Uh, Get, get a quicker answer from mom who's uh, better at not doing that so I understood and I didn't hold it against her but the point is I was in a subservient role in that situation um, even though I was the dad and the math teacher um, so, so that's the way it went um, so perhaps it's that way when the Bible uses helper for God doesn't he is in a subservient role when he's not taking over and doing it but he's there to help and so here's um, what Wayne Grudem says about all that. He says, what I conclude from viewing all of the occurrences, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Wayne Grudem does not say this. He's quoting another man whose name is David Kleins, uh, who I know nothing about, but he quotes him in, in this. So quote, 
What I conclude from viewing all of the occurrences in the Hebrew Bible is that those superior may help inferior, uh, strong helping the weak, gods helping humans. Now there, by the way, the Bible speaks of gods other than God himself, so it's not relegating him down to just a plain old uh, false god. But when God or gods help humans, and the active uh, help that you might be providing um, might, might be uh, given to an inferior. That is to say, they are subjecting themselves to a secondary subordinate position. Their help may be necessary or crucial, but they are assisting some task that is someone else's responsibility. They are not actually doing the task themselves or even in cooperation, for there is different language for that. In a helper, uh, in Hebrew, it's not a way that does not negate being an equal. Um, I'm sorry, in a help, okay, voice recognition's messed it up. The word helper as used in the Hebrew is not a way of suggesting um, that they are completely equal in their roles. I'm having to paraphrase since my uh, sentence got messed up. Okay, so again though, the question is, was there any kind of submissive role between male and female prior to the fall and so Eve being identified as Adam's helper would be indicating that contrary to those that try to make the case that that's not the case okay what are some other examples um, how about the curse um, brought a distortion of previous roles not the introducing of new roles Okay. Well, in the punishments that God gave to Adam and Eve, he did not introduce new roles, but simply introduced pain and distortion into the functions they previously had. And of course, this is one of the problems that people have with it when they object to this concept. Probably largely comes from the abuse that's happened from it. Okay. Um, and then when we think about redemption in Christ, it reaffirms this uh, creation order. And there'll be a time where these roles will change. All right. Um, let's see here. I just realized I didn't put up uh, the second point as we were talking about it. But let's put up the third point on the slide. So the question of mutual submission. Okay. So going along with this, this has been a popular thought in Christian circles. And sometimes, again, I think it's a response to the problems that do exist in male-female relationships, husband-wife relationships. I mean, the fact is that, as I just read, um, the roles have been distorted. Uh, the curse of sin brings a lot of problems into the world. And so humans abusing humans is just a huge problem um, we all do it to some extent. We uh, sometimes tend uh, to mistreat each other. And uh, these roles are not preserved from that kind of abuse. And mankind just abuses uh, mankind in lots of ways. Mankind abuses himself uh, various ways, cutting himself, uh, taking drugs, um, distorting his body, um, not treating his body well in nutrition or whatever. Mankind abuses 
himself. Mankind abuses other man. Uh, obvious examples, sex trafficking, slavery, um, but then also um, sexual abuse of uh, young women within families, um, spousal abuse, uh, whether it's verbal or physical. It's just, um, it's just prevalent in our society. And um, thankfully, most of society does not engage on those high levels of abuse, like, you know, slavery, sex trafficking, although in areas of the world where those things are tolerated, we see that dramatically climb, so perhaps it's our laws and the punishment that we would face that holds some people back from what they might naturally be inclined uh, to do. But then in all of this, and maybe perhaps in a reaction uh, to this, the question of mutual submission comes up. And some have argued um, when we look at, and let's see, this is Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21, and I'm looking for it where I have it quoted. Okay, uh, Ephesians 5, 21, be subject one to another, uh, that's discussed in that passage. Okay. Uh, is the idea that there's just mutual submission between men and women and not these differences of role that would have one be more subject uh, than the other. And so some have argued that to be subject to uh, means to be thoughtful and considerate in that passage, uh, that they're to be subject one to another. Therefore, that's the interpretation of the wives being subject to their husbands, thoughtful or considerate. Like in a church, if we're all subject one to another, uh, then we no one has a role above the other, but it's all mutual submission. We're all to be considerate of the other. Let each esteem other better than himself. Let's all act this way and apply that within a marriage such that there is no actual role difference, that, uh, suggesting that's not what the Bible is teaching. Okay. Um, however, and I'll quote here, the primary argument that has been used in favor of taking the term, be subject to, to take that term and take it in the sense, be considerate of, um, it, using this term such as in Ephesians 5.21, there uh, Paul tells Christians, submitting yourselves one to another. Several, argue, several writers have argued that this means that every Christian sub, should be subject to every other Christian, and wives and husbands especially should be subject one to another. Um, the phrase mutual submission is often used to describe this kind of relationship, and it has been understood to imply that there is no unique kind of submission that a wife owes to her husband. However, and I kind of repeating myself because I kind of summarized all that a little bit ago, but now the part of the quote I especially want to hear. However, the following context defines what Paul means by, sub, by quote, be subject to one another. Okay. He means be subject to others in the church who are in positions of authority over you. This is explained by what follows, because what follows are wives are to be subject to husbands, that's verses 22 through 24, but husbands are never told to be subject to wives in that discussion. In fact, Paul tells wives to be subject to your own husbands, not everyone in the church or to all husbands. Then it goes on uh, in the next chapters, verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, children are to be subject to their parents. The word it uses, obey them. But parents are never told to be subject to or to obey their children. 
servants are to be subject to their masters, but not masters to their servants. Therefore, the mutual submission in this sense, meaning everyone should be subject to everyone, is not affirmed in Ephesians 5.21. So, translation or, or summary, Ephesians 5.21, when you read it in context, when you read what follows it, it's talking about roles. Wives to husbands, children to wives, uh, to parents, uh, servants to masters. And it's if you take that verse just by itself and try to separate it from what else is there, maybe we could say, well, it means everyone's subject to everyone else. And if you take it that way in that passage and say, now we're going to apply this, what it means to be subject in other passages, we can try to erase um, the roles that are there. Okay? Well, in kind of in my own summary, just thinking about all that, part of the, I think, what we need to have in our minds is this. Are we submissive to God and the roles that he has for us? Because in life, there's going to be a number of roles uh, that are there. And whatever the role is uh, may involve submitting to someone else or it may involve being the head of someone else. And so, you know, I'm, I'm the principal of the school, which puts me in, in a leadership position over others. Um, but it does not make me greater in importance, uh, nor does it give me any right uh, to mistreat or lord over others. Husbands have been put in a certain role. Does it make them you know, better, more important in importance? They're not um, greater than the wives in the eyes of God, but there's just different roles that are there. Um, personally, I'm not one that ever has naturally sought leadership position. Um, inside, I'm happy to follow, and leadership sometimes... Um, bring certain uh, uh, levels of responsibility and, and burden that sometimes I'd be happy just to sit, sit on the side and let someone else do all the thinking or figuring things out. Um, but, you know, th there's, there's roles that are needed. But again, I think what would help us a lot with this is to go back to the Trinity. Uh, there's no sin nature going on there. There's no... Um, there's no one being thought as more God than the other. Um, nothing's distorted in that. There's no consequence of sin in that. And yet you see all of those concepts, equality of who they are, equality of importance, equality of deity, yet differences of roles that include submission um, or headship in that. And so when we look at our final slide here, application to marriage, okay, we have three points on here. Uh, Grudem doesn't use this, but it just was a flashback to me on the book that we did once in Sunday school, Love and Respect, um, that this would be a, a good thing for us to have, that husbands, when they're over their wives, that there's a love uh, that's there, uh, there's an honor that's there, um, and, I, and I think respect is not, um, not out of place to also say that, but respect is often more associated, especially with the one who's in that um, submissive position, uh, who's under the authority of the other. And so, um, and, and I think um, as we studied uh, when we looked at that book on marriage, uh, that there, 
is, I think God has created, can I say, an innate, natural desire in females over and above what exists in men, because it exists there too, to be loved by their spouse. And there's a natural desire over and above what exists in women, although it is there too, for men to be respected by their wives. And so these are important things, but we're not doing a marriage study too much this morning, but I draw those out. Okay, Here's some errors that can take place. Errors of aggressiveness. Now in a little bit we'll have um, errors of, that are more passive errors, but aggressive errors. Um, one on the part of men, one on the part of women in marriage. Men who exercise their headship tyrannically become, become tyrants in some way. Um, you know, if, if someone is going to lead, you think they should be leading in a way that's beneficial to the ones they're leading. Fortunately, a lot of human leadership doesn't do things that way. They're not leading for the benefit of those that they're leading. Oftentimes, they're using the people that they're leading for their own benefits or to accomplish things that they want to accomplish. And so it can be uh, you know, a form of tyranny. And so that's a, a problem in male leadership, uh, sometimes in marriages, is to, to rule that way. Okay? Uh, but then we have um, a problem that can exist, a temptation on the part of women, is to usurp leadership in a way that's um, not appropriate because it's out of the role that God has. And so both of these can become errors, uh, sins, that are aggressive versions. But then we can have these errors, um, errors of passivity or laziness. Now, um, you know, kind of milder uh, errors. Uh, the passivity, maybe we would um, reference that to a husband, a husband that's passive in his leadership, thus kind of abdicating his leadership role, much like I think of Deborah and Barak, um, where you know Deborah ends up taking a stronger leadership role because he won't do it without her. Did I say the right name, Barak? Yeah, Deborah and Barak, right? Yeah, I just have a doubt in my mind if I got his name right. Um, he, he was just very passive. He, was, he wasn't completely passive, but he was a little too passive. And of course, she pr- pronounces a little bit of a condemnation on that when she says, well, because you wouldn't go out on your own with, without me, the glory for the victory is going to be given to a woman, which it did to a woman named Jael. And Jael's the actual one who killed Sisera, the enemy uh, captain, and would have received a lot of the credit uh, for the victory that was there. But it was that passive leadership. It should have been stronger and taken the role that God had given and been a leader uh, in that. Okay, but then you get this, uh, this sin or error of laziness uh, that can be there. Um, and actually, I think I, re- you know, I come to think of it, I reverse it because they're, they're both kind of passive. Let me reverse that. I think the laziness would be best. I mean, both of them go with both husbands and wives. It's basically being too passive or lazy in your role. But maybe originally I should have flipped those. Sometimes you get a lazy husband who's too passive and just doesn't fulfill his role. But what about a wife? Uh, Can a wife um, be too passive in her role? Uh, Can a wife who's passive um, and lazy in her role um, being the opposite of domineering, what if she um, does not contribute anything to what's going on in the 
the marriage? Um, what if she's not part of the decision-making process? I mean, she's kind of abdicating her role as a helper uh, in that sense. Uh, being unwilling to speak words of correction to her husband, even though he's doing something wrong, or um, just agreeing with everything that he says, just going along with it in a passive role. Now, some women are beaten down to this position because of a tyrant of a husband who doesn't want to hear anything that she says. And, um, you know, so I think a lot of times that can be verbal, just telling her she's stupid or I don't want to hear, you know, whatever. I think in our society that attitude has gotten less and less acceptable, but in some societies and other places of the world and maybe in our society in the past, um, telling women what you say.